Good morning, church. Today we are going to continue with our sermon series on the greatest love story ever told, uh, from creation to Christ, uh, special emphasis on the family and uh, focusing on uh, reconciliation as we consider the covenant uh, of God with Jacob. And uh, before we go further, let us pray together. Father God, we want to thank you that you have given us the Holy Spirit to teach us. And you have given us the Bible, your word, to speak to us. So Lord, we pray, even as your word is being preached, your Holy Spirit will stir our hearts to obedience. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God is known as the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. So we have considered uh, Abraham, we have considered Isaac. Today, we continue to consider uh, uh, Jacob. Families are broken. We come from broken families, imperfect families. So for context, I will read for us chapter 27 of Genesis and I want you to pay attention to the brokenness. Genesis 27, verse 1. When Isaac was old and his eyes were so weak that he could no longer see, he called for Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son. And Esau answered, Here am I, he answered. Isaac said, I am now an old man and don't know the day of my death. Now then, get your equipment, your quiver and bow and go out to the open country to hunt some wild game for me. Prepare me the kind of tasty food I like, and bring it to me to eat, so that I may give you my blessings before I die. Isaac's wife, Rebekah. Now Rebekah was listening as Isaac spoke to his son Esau. When Esau left for the open country to hunt game and bring it back, Rebekah said to her son, Jacob. Look, I overheard your father say to your brother Esau, bring me some game and prepare me some tasty food to eat so that I may give you my blessing in the presence of the Lord before I die. Now, my son, listen carefully and do what I tell you. Go out to the flock and bring me two choice young goats so, that, so I can prepare some tasty food for your father, just the way he likes it. Then take it to your father to eat, so that he may give you his blessing before he dies. And as we know, Jacob did what his mother told him to do, and deceived Isaac and took Esau, uh, Esau's birthright and blessings. Going to verse 28, this is the blessing. Isaac said this, May God give you heaven's dew and earth's richness and abundance of grain and new wine. May nations serve you and peoples bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed and those who bless you be blessed. Not long after, Esau came back from hunting and came to Isaac, and he found out that Isaac had already given his blessing to his younger brother, to Isaac. To Jacob, sorry. 
Verse 41, Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of that. Because of the blessing his father had given him. He said to himself, The days of mourning for my father are near. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. When Rebekah was told what her older son had said, she sent for her younger son Jacob and said to him, Your brother Esau is planning to avenge himself by killing you. Now then, my son, do what I say. Flee at once to my brother Laban in Haran. Stay with him for a while until your brother's fury subsides. When your brother is no longer angry with you and forgets what you did to him, I will send word for you to come back from there. Why should I lose both of you in one day? Then Rebekah said to Isaac, to the husband, I'm disgusted with living because of this Hittite woman. If Jacob takes a wife from among the women of this land, from Hittite women like this, my life will not be worth living. So Isaac called for Jacob, blessed him, and then commanded him, Do not marry a Canaanite woman. Go at once to Pandan Aram, to the house of your mother's father, Bethuel. Take a wife for yourself from there, from among the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and increase your numbers until you become a community of peoples. May He give you and your descendants the blessing given to Abraham so that you may take possession of the land where you now reside as a foreigner, the land God gave to Abraham. Then Isaac sent Jacob on his way and he went to Pantan Aram to Laban's son of Bethuel, the Aramean, the brother of Rebekah who was the mother of Jacob and Esau. Jacob left Bathsheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. God's blessing was first given to Abraham and then to Isaac, passed on to Isaac through the family and as we know, to Jacob. But here we have young Jacob, who is unmarried, running for his life away from the land that was promised to Abraham. He needed God's mercy. He was at the lowest point in his life. So as we consider the recipient of God's mercy uh, in the life of Jacob, we also want to identify ourselves with him. You see, after cheating his father and his brother, Jacob was forced by Esau's fury to run away from his beloved home in Bathsheba. In Hokkien, they say, run road, you know, run road. Because you are running for your life. If you stay there, you will die. So he headed north towards Haran to find a home, a new home and hopefully a bride. And he came that night to a barren, desolate spot in the hill city of Palestine, in the desert, 15 miles north of Jerusalem, with nothing. He had nothing. Don't even have something to put his head on. So he found a, piece, a, a, a stone, and he lay down to sleep. 
Here we must note that sin, uh, Jacob is sinful. He was sinful. He was totally undeserving of any love from God. He had just tried to cheat his dying father. I mean, to cheat someone is already bad in itself, right? To cheat your father is even worse. Here he is cheating his dying father. Esau was blind at the point of death. It was both sinful and shameful for Jacob to deceive his own dying father. And I believe because of that, Jacob must be suffering like hell. Because each one of us, we have a conscience. There is guilt and there is shame when we sin. Jacob was sinful. And he wasn't only sinful, he was lonely. He had been driven out of the presence of those he loved. From the warmth and light of home, he fled into the cold and darkness of the world. Poor Jacob was utterly alone. He didn't know what lies ahead of him. He did not know when or whether he could uh, ever return home or not. He was truly cut off from everybody. His family, his God, he was cut off and he was lonely. And so I believe he was afraid. Guilt and loneliness have a way of eating all our courage out of us. I do not know whether you have felt sinful before. I'm sure we did. Whether you have felt lonely before. You know, sometimes we may be married, we are in a family, or we may be in a busy city, but we can still be lonely. We can still be alone, or we feel alone. Nobody understands me. That's, the, that's a common thing we hear when we do counselling. Pastor, you do not understand me. Sure. Why? Because you feel all alone. You feel that you are in this all alone and no help. So let us leave battle and Jacob and look at ourselves and our day. How many of us are tired travellers? How many of us make our bed in the darkness? Being victimised by guilt, by loneliness, by fear. Does your conscience gnaw away day and night as you are reminded of your sins? How many of us, like Jacob, feel all alone with no one to care for us, no one to help us? Loneliness has been called the great disease of the 20th century. Dr. Carl Jung said, emptiness is the central neurosis of our time. Emptiness. We desire for things. And then we work very hard and we got, get the thing, right? Be it a house, a car, a wife, whatever, you name it. And then after that, you feel empty. How many of us are afraid? Few of us realise how much our happiness and peace of mind is riddled by our fear. We are afraid. We have fear. We are afraid of people. We are afraid of our own subconscious. We are afraid of our failure. We are afraid of death. We are afraid of ridicule. We are afraid of financial loss. We are afraid of World War III, of failure, of success, of COVID, and a thousand and one other things. As a child, why do you study hard? 
because you are afraid. You are afraid that you will disappoint your parents. As a young adult, why do you go on a certain career track? Because you are afraid of being a failure. Why do we get married? Some of us get married because we are afraid that we'll be left on the shelf. Right? After married, why do we want to have children? Because other people have children. We are afraid. We have to be like the mess. We have to be like the others. If not, Chinese New Year people will ask you, why are you still not married? Why you still have no children? Right? Fear. Fear drives us. And then we work very hard because we want to build up a retirement fund so that we can grow old and be well. Friends, that is not living. That is just an existence. Fear leads us to exist. And we just go through the motion without any meaning and purpose. Such fears cause us to exist rather than to really live. You want to really live? Don't live in fear. It is strange to say this, but guilt, loneliness and fear can work for our good if it drives us to God for help. We do not find God at the end of our philosophical thinking. We find God at the end of our rope or at the end of our road. I have done counselling uh, with drug offenders, drug addicts and ex-offenders. And this actually shows us who we are really like. Many come to God only when they have no other road. You hit the wall, no other way but to look up and cry out to God for help. At the end of our rope, we cry out to God for help. This was what happened to Jacob and this was what happened in 1984 to a 14-year-old violent, rebellious boy who was running away from guilt, loneliness and fear. He ended up accepting an invitation to a Christian youth camp held in St. John's Island. On the second night, he heard the gospel for the first time, confronted by his conscience of his sin and fear of God's impending judgment and the feeling of loneliness, he prayed to receive Christ as his Saviour and Lord and, promised for, and he was promised forgiveness and eternal life. He returned to mainland Singapore a new person and will end up later becoming your pastor, speaking today. That clap offering is for God, not for me. Because I didn't do anything. I just went along. Right? I just went along for the ride. I had fun and it was God's mercy. As I was preparing for this sermon, I found so many similarities in how God encountered each one of us 
as we think about Jacob and ourselves. God's mercy is like a dream to the recipient. It is still like a dream to me, you know. My salvation, all this life, you know, this whole life that I've lived, it's like a dream. Let's return to Genesis 28 as we consider how God revealed His mercy. The revelation of God's mercy, Genesis 28, verse 12. He had a dream, Jacob in which he saw a stairway resting on earth with his top reaching to the heaven and the angels of God ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth and you will spread out to the west, to the east, to the north, to the south of where you are at. All peoples on the earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and I will watch over you wherever you go and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place and I was not aware of it. God reveals His mercy to us at the deepest and lowest point of our lives. And He reveals it through His love and His power. To Jacob, this was a dream. And in the dream, however, are revealed the blessings of mercy that come to us when God comes to us and when we accept Him. The first one is condescension. The dream itself reveals God's condescension. The ladder, you know, that is leading to heaven. God's condescension, His grace and mercy to those who do not deserve it. There was nothing in Jacob and in me to deserve a visit from God. God comes to us who turn our backs on Him. He offers pardon to us who crucified His Son. Years later, God said this, Jacob, have I loved. Yet, looking at the life of Jacob and looking at our lives, there was very little in Jacob to love. The object of God's love, Jacob, was a selfish, scheming, cheating little coward. The stairways reveals God's communication. He who loves us wants to share himself with us. But sin has a gulf, made a gulf that we cannot cross. We are on earth, sinful men, holy God in heaven, and there's a great gulf between us. No matter how high we jump, no matter how tall a building we build, we can never reach God. Unless... God comes down to us and communicates to us. The Bible says your sins have separated you from your God. Friends, we cannot go to God. But we thank God. God came down to us. This is the message of the gospel. That God crossed the sin gulf when Jesus came for us. In John 1.51, Jesus, when calling Nathaniel, said that Jesus himself was the stairway to God. 
John 1, 51. He, Jesus, then added, Very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Jesus became that ladder of Jacob. Note with me, the Son of Man, capital S and capital M. Not the sons of men, but the Son of Man, referring to Jesus Himself. He came to us in Bethlehem, and we carried Him and nailed Him on Calvary. He took the old rugged cross, and He made it a bridge, and the way of the cross leads home. We need a perfect life to approach the Holy God. Jesus lived that perfect life and it becomes our passport by faith. We need forgiveness if we are to approach a righteous God and Jesus shed His blood and paid for our sins and accomplished our forgiveness and has given us righteousness. God not only comes to us, but in Jesus, He dies for us. And in the Holy Spirit, He lives in us. God communicates His very self to us. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Next, we want to understand that God is concerned for Jacob and God is concerned for you. He is not just a God who is concerned, just like a concerned parent, right? But with limitation. But here God is concerned and He has the power to provide. The angels ascending and descending speaks of more than adequate provisions. He has more than enough. F.B. Mayer says, The angels going up represent our prayers to God and the angels coming down represent God's answer to us. Up and down. Jacob, like many of us, thought he was all alone that night. But God showed him that he wasn't alone. There were angels with him. Many, many angels. Bringing in the needs of men and bringing out blessings of God. No wonder Paul says, My God shall supply all your needs. He has the power to protect. God is not only concerned but God has the power to protect. Jacob was afraid that dark night. Why? Because Esau, who is after him, after his life, knew the hills. Esau was a hunter. He knew the hills. It is his backyard. He could come after Jacob and Jacob was running away from him. The terrible pagan Canaanites were all around him. He is not in, in friendly territory. He is in enemy ground, you know. The Canaanites, when they see you, you are dead. And not only that, wild animals. And the midst, in the midst of all this, God says this in Genesis 28.15, I will be with you and protect you. Wherever you go, I will bring you back to this land. You know, when you're running 
and you are all alone and you are afraid, these words must have been so comforting to Jacob. Is it comforting for us when we feel lonely, when we feel that we are wronged, we feel that we, somebody has wronged us or we are accused of something and God says, I will be with you and protect you. Next, we want to consider God's contact with Jacob. Jacob's cry when he woke up, surely the Lord was in this place, speaks of God's contact with him. Those of us who have, been, who have served the army will know this. When you encounter the enemy, there's one word you shout. Contacted. <laughs> contacted, right? Because the enemy, you have contacted the enemy. Here, God has contacted Jacob. Christianity is an encounter with God. It is a personal experience with a personal being. It is heart to heart. It is will to will. It is life on life encounter. It is not just an intellect philosophical exercise. It is us encountering a personal supreme being. What is the result of experiencing God's mercy? Or what are the fruits of conversion? Jacob gave evidence of being born again. I believe that night, he encountered God and he was born again. In fact, this is the first time in the Bible, if you read from Genesis, that somebody, uh, or there are many conversions, but this is the first time it is recorded for us in detail. How someone, uh, how God contacted someone and that person repented and changed and lived a new life. And Jacob gave evidence of being born again. The first one was fear. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? He was afraid of, of, of men. Okay? But now, he's no longer afraid of men. Now he's afraid of God. He had the fear of God. How awesome is this place? Realizing this dream was more than a dream, Jacob woke up to his senses and he knew that God had come to him. God had spoken to him. He knew that God had come to him and spoken to him. You know, when, when, when we encounter God, do, when you encounter God, do you know that you have encountered God? Hopefully, you will know that you won't be so busy with life that you over, oversee that. No? When we encounter God, more often than not, we will know that we have encountered God. The Bible says, when, God, uh, when Jacob woke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place and I was not aware of it. He was afraid. And then he said, how awesome is this place? How awesome is this place? For those of us worshipping online, how awesome is this place? Please come back to church. How awesome is this place? And he says that this is none other than the house of God. This is the gate to, of gate of heaven. 
This is the way that leads home. This is the front gate. Okay? Come. The person who really meets the Holy God is awed, dumbfounded, and speechless. If you read your Bible, you will understand that nobody has met God and asked God, God, why Turkey got earthquake? Nobody. Everyone who meets God comes to God and is awed, dumbfounded, speechless. He is no longer afraid of men and he now has the fear of God which leads to worship. Verse 17b. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel, though the city used to be called Lutz. He used the, the stone pillow that he was lying on as a marker. And he hallowed it with anointing oil and named the spot the house of God, which is better. If you are a true born-again Christian, you would desire to worship. And you will worship in the house of God. The third was giving. Verse 20. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey that I am taking, and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear, so that I will return safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be my God. And this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And, all, and of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. This is a vow of a one-day-old believer. Don't be too harsh on Jacob. Jacob vowed that he would serve God if God kept his promises. The prayer, admittedly, was selfish and shallow. But God knew this young convert had a lot of growing up to do. And he followed this with a vow to give God a tenth of all he acquired. It may sound like a shallow prayer, a shallow vow, right? Very selfish. But it was a giant step for Jacob. You remember who he was just yesterday? He was this selfish, greedy cheater. But the next day, after his sleep, he woke up a different person because he had dreamed and encountered God. He is willing now to give. Once we have received God's best, we want to give our best to God in return. When the God of mercy invades and takes over our life, we are never the same again. It doesn't happen overnight sometimes. Sometimes it does. But we are being transformed by His grace. Next year, I'll be celebrating my 40th year as a Christian. When I was a teenager, when I hear people, the preacher say this, Next year, I'm celebrating 40th year. I go, wow. <laughs> because I'm not even four years. you 40 years. It's a long journey. I have been growing 40 years. 
Hopefully, as you journey on in your Christian life, you also grow. It doesn't happen overnight. As a young Christian, as a teenager, I got into many, many difficult situations, if I can say that. And I would tell God, God, you deliver me, I believe in you. This is after I became a believer, right? If I'm not caught, God, I will do this for you. <laughs> Young believer, ma, right? Is it wrong? Is it wrong for me to pray that prayer? It is not wrong in God's eyes because that is a cry from His child. When a three-year-old asks things from you, huh, do you expect him to talk like a 30-year-old? You don't, right? But when a three-year-old asks Daddy God for things, that is how we pray. Huh? But when you are 30, 40 years old, you don't talk like that to Daddy God. If you are, you need counselling. You are stuck. You grow old, but you never grow as a person. Stuck. A different man left battle that next morning. Yes, he still had many faults, but the divine seed has been sown. And on the morning after his conversion, it began already to bear fruit. If you have truly encountered God, you are born again believer, you obey the Bible, you will bear fruit. He was reconciled to God and slowly with God's help, he would establish his family. Continue to, I don't have time, the luxury of time to, to preach on uh, Genesis 29 and 30. But if you have time to, this afternoon, go and read it for yourself. You will see how, how God led him, right? To not only one wife, but two. Bonus, huh? I'm not, I'm not saying that uh, polygamy is correct. No? But what I'm saying is that God led him. Okay? And in years to come, he will establish his own family. And years to come, he will return to his homeland. We need to be reconciled to God. And as we are reconciled to God, God will reconcile our relationship with others. He went back, he made good, reconciled with his brother and his family. It is all with God's help. He would establish his own family and be reconciled to his original family. Have you been born again? Have you encountered God? Do you have the evidence of being born again? Have you arrived at your own battle? Has God revealed His mercy and saving grace to you? Have you accepted Jesus Christ and His love by faith and turned your life over to Him in repentance? Do you honour God, worship Him and serve Him? Have you kept your vow to God? Have you promised God something and you still owe it to Him to fulfil it? 
Today, I want to give us an opportunity for us to respond to God. I want to invite us to close our eyes, bow our heads, spend some time in prayer. I do not know the specifics of your life, but God do, and you do. Talk to God as He talks to you. Jesus is that ladder that leads us home. The cross leads us home. If you are not a believer, you haven't received Jesus as your personal saviour before, if you like to receive Christ as your saviour, I want to pray for you. God sees your heart, I see your hand, so I need you to raise up your hand quickly and put it down. Is there any? Any? I won't delay long. Quickly put up your hands and put it down. I just want to pray for you. This is not to shame you because all of us have done this before. Thank you, I see your hand. Any more? If God has brought someone that you need to forgive to your mind, a name or a face, pray for forgiveness for that person and pray for yourself that you'll be willing to forgive that person. And if you know that you have offended someone, pray that God will give you the courage to seek forgiveness. Spend some time to pray with God. Let us pray together. Father God, we thank you for reconciliation. We pray for that brother who has raised his hand and we thank you that he desires to be reconciled to you. So Lord, I pray. I pray that as he receives the Lord Jesus Christ as his personal saviour, that you help him grow in you. Grow in knowledge, grow in grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, for the rest of us, we thank you for the ministry of reconciliation. We pray that we will forgive others who have offended us because we have offended you and you have forgiven us. And we thank you. We thank you for the ministry of reconciliation because when we extend forgiveness, it gives us an opportunity to share with them how we have received forgiveness from you and how we are able to forgive others. Lord, we know that it is not easy. We need your grace. 
Because the natural reaction when we are slapped is to slap back, not to turn the other cheek. But Lord, you have shown us. You did not only turn the other cheek. Lord, you went to the cross and you died for us, awful sinners who did not deserve your mercy. So Lord, have mercy on us. We thank you for this day that we can be reminded that you are God, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. You are not a covenant-breaking God, but a covenant-keeping God. So Lord, thank you. Thank you for what we have received from you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you.